This episode of the Better Every Shift podcast is brought to you by Lexipol, the experts in policy, training, wellness support, and grants assistance for first responders and government leaders. To learn more, visit Lexipol.com. That's L-E-X-I-P-O-L.com. Now let's get into the show. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Better Every Shift podcast. My name is Aaron Zamzo. I am a writer for Fire Rescue One, a fire lieutenant in Madison, Wisconsin, and your co-host with me as always on this episode is the um, is the editor-in-chief, I, the the big kahuna. Uh, the, I can't say captain because we have another captain with us today, but she's the colonel, uh, Janelle Fasquet. Janelle, how are we doing today? I'm doing good. I'm I'm feeling some casual vibes here because I've got a fellow San Diegan uh, on the show today. So going beachy casual with the vibes. Uh, I, San Diego, San Diegan, as Ron Burgundy, I think, would say. And um, and who you're referring to is uh, uh, Captain Ben Vernon. Now, Ben's story is uh, inspiring to me as somebody in the field and. Uh, we've had a lot of inspiring individuals on the podcast, and this is uh, probably one of the tops. Um, Ben has taken a situation that scares the crap out of me, and I'm sure it does a lot of first responders, especially in this day and age, where he had a violent incident happen and has turned that into a mission to help um, other first responders try to avoid that and deal with the the mental health PTSD after effects of it, which we in the fire service are really just starting to introduce ourselves to. So I, I don't want to talk too much more in depth. I want to hear it right from, from uh, Captain Ben, but um, you guys make sure you stay tuned and listen to this whole thing because he is uh, an inspiring individual. So let's say hi to him. How you doing today, Captain? Um, well, Lieutenant, how are you, sir? <laughs> I'm good. Still doesn't you know, it's still fairly new. I think uh, new for you as well as a captain. And and so the, uh, you know, the title, uh, I was telling someone of this, and I know, you, you know, talking to you off, off camera here, right? The title is one thing. The action is what really makes the the letter the letters in the title. And it's something that you've really been doing the last couple of years since this incident. Uh, let me give a little background on on you, and, and then we'll just start talking a little bit more about it. You're a, a captain, a paramedic, San Diego Fire Department. Uh, fire rescue department. You're a member of the hazmat team, the tech rescue team, FEMA, California task uh, force eight urban search and rescue team. You got five specialist positions. Um, but on June 24th, 2015, while responding to what, what we all would consider a routine medical call, uh, you were stabbed multiple times by a bystander. And, and that has led you to become the champion for us um, on PTSD recognition and treatment. And now you're traveling and speaking uh, all over the, uh, to, you know, fire departments, firefighters, even corporations on, um, you know, your experiences and how it's really helped, uh, you know, create this mission for you. Uh, one of the ways that you've helped us is you were a panelist on our violent prevention uh, for the fire and EMS safety. Um, uh, we had a, a webinar on that uh, recently. You were on that panel. Um, you've also, uh, spread the message, um, numerous ways through resources you've created and, uh, through just your speaking. So, um, you know, welcome. I'm excited to hear 
just a little bit more about, um, you know, how you've turned this, this negative incident into just this, this mission. So, um, I think let's start with, uh, um, first of all, how are you and, and how are things since physically, mentally, how are you doing right now? I'm doing fantastic right now. Uh, yesterday was my wife and I's 20 year anniversary. And so we took off to Santa Barbara for a little getaway. We drove back this morning uh, so I could do this podcast. So uh, my wife and I are doing great. It's been, uh, you know, we, we've been through our ups and downs as a spouse of a firefighter. She's put up with a lot of my BS. By the way, can I cuss on this show? Cause that, Oh yeah. Okay, yeah. good. Yeah. 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 So I put my wife through a lot of bullshit. Um, and she's still with me and I'm very grateful for that. So I'm doing great. Well, happy anniversary. Thank uh, you. you know, you talked about the ups and downs, obviously, um, you know, let's, let's dive in what happened that day. And, and if you could just give us a rundown, like, you know, routine uh, medical call, which, you know, a lot of firefighters right now and, and paramedics uh, are listening to this going, okay, yeah, we probably have, you know, a routine five, six, seven, eight, ten 10 times a day. Right. And, and for you, it's no different. Um, so go ahead, take us through that day. Yeah. So, um, I, the June 24, 2015, I'm eight years into my career and I devoted my time to being on, as you said, hazmat rescue FEMA's USAR team. Um, and I'm working downtown at station four, right next to Petco park. It is the heavy rescue station. So, uh, we have an engine and the heavy rescue rig. And so you do half your rotation on the engine and half on the rescue rig. The engine is absolutely brutal. It's the busiest engine in the city and the fourth busiest in the country. So we average 25 to 30 calls a shift. Um, we work in downtown and we have a large homeless population, as you guys are well aware. Um, we get in altercations with them a lot. You know, we're dealing with a lot of opiate overdoses. We were, you know, existed through the spice epidemic. Um, I mean, just doing it right day and night. And I was very proud of it. I loved it. Uh, but I was also very tired, fatigued, ran a lot of calls after midnight, one of the busiest engines after midnight. So uh, on June 24, 2015, it is 4 p.m. in the afternoon. We've already run 10 calls that day and we've responding. We're responding to the trolley stop. Um, and I've already been there three times that mm -hmm. day. So talking about routine, right? Like right. I've run this call already three times that day. And the call came in for a homeless man who was intoxicated at the trolley stop. Now I have some pictures for those that want to watch this on your, is it a YouTube channel? What do you guys do? Yeah, we do fire rescue one YouTube channel. Uh, so if you're listening to this on the podcast, uh, switch over there to see, and we'll try to describe the best we can as, as we go through, but yeah, switch over to YouTube if you can. Yeah. And people can also watch this on firerescue1.com as well. Perfect. And I'll try to just be as descriptive as I can and I'll move through the pictures quickly since some people won't have the opportunity to um to So Ben, watch what's it on the TV. source of the of the photos here? Uh good question. So I didn't know this at the time. We uh, there are trolley security guards and they wear a body camera. Okay. And so these photos come straight from a, a body cam. Um, just the descriptor, right? This is our 10th call of the day, our third time at the trolley stop. We are called by trolley security guards. And one of the things I like to point out is that these security guards wear guns and badges and they have handcuffs and pepper spray. And 
they look like cops. And and one of the mistakes I made is, you know, we call these guys trolley cops. I thought they had the same training as San Diego PD and mm. they really don't. Um, but they respond, they see a guy who's falling all over himself. He's drunk. He's in a white t-shirt, green hat, backpack. Um, and he's, he's literally too drunk to be out in public. And they see this guy falling all over himself. He, you know, he almost falls on the trolley tracks a couple times. And so they kind of, all descend on him. Well, at the same time, another homeless gentleman, uh, a bystander sees this guy falling and he wants to help as well. And so the problem is, is you have these two groups, you have trolley guys and you have this homeless bystander and they all want to help this drunk guy. Yeah. And the issue is, is the drunk guy is belligerent. He's not cooperative. He's argumentative and he's not doing anything that anyone wants him to do. Right. He's, he's just being a jerk. And the bystander wants to help. He's very argumentative. He doesn't like the trolley security guards. Um, and, and so everyone converges at one time and then no one is working together. And they're right. all fighting with each other and they're arguing. And there's a lot of back and forth between the trolley guys, the bystander. There's back and forth between the bystander and the drunk patient. And, and what I don't realize, because we're not on scene yet, is right, the call... So is escalating. Go ahead. Yeah. yeah. And when, so, you know, we, you're seeing, uh, the gentleman in the camo shorts, is that his friend that's trying to help him here? Yeah. They're, yeah. Well, they don't know each other. Okay. Uh, the gentleman in the camo shorts is the bystander. Uh, this is the guy in the camo shorts that eventually tries to kill me. Okay. Um, and so I nicknamed him stabby and stabby. So, his... so right now the he's, he's trying to, to deal with the belligerent drunk person there are security guards uh, or trolley security around them. You guys are dispatched at this point. You're coming into this call. Now, are, are the call notes being updated that the person's getting a little belligerent or not? No, there are no notes whatsoever that indicate we're walking into an, uh, an escalating, argumentative, violent scene. Okay. It, so you weren't say, on scene at this point yet. Correct. correct. And, and if, if I could share anything, right, is, you know, we think that when we get on scene, that's the beginning of the call. And I like to remind all of my young firefighters that are just starting this job that when you show up on scene, that's the middle of the call, right? And you don't know what happened beforehand. Yeah. Um, and so you could be walking into something very intense and not know it. And that's yeah. kind of what happened here. We walked into a scene that was already, you know, blood is boiling um, for a lot of people on this scene as we show up. Yeah. And it, you know, the, the sad part is when you look at the fire side of things, we talk about that a lot, right? Like when we get there, that fire is already in a particular situation, right? Exactly. Or stage or state, but we don't talk about that on the EMS side, which, um, right. so I just wonder what's a great way to, to really, um, you know, summarize that is that this is all going on and you get on scene. That's not the start of this call. Right. It's, I mean, fires are what the incipient phase, right? Yep. Where it's just starting. And then it, kicks off and then obviously you get to flash over or backdraft. Yep. And, and the so, growth growth phase. And yep. Exactly. So incipient to growth to full rage to flash over to black backdraft. So yeah. You know, when and we are aware of that when we show up on scene, we're looking at the call going, oh, we're already this thing's already flashed. Like this is a surrounded drown. We're not gonna right. do anything here. Same thing with medical aids. You know, you show up, everyone I think just kind of naturally assumes we're at the incipient phase when you could very well You're be right in the middle of this was at the growth yeah this is the growth into flashover exactly. as you get on scene yes yep. i think so we I'm, just came up with a new seminar idea I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we gotta write a book on this yeah um i i 
I show pictures and video when I when I travel and share my story. Um, and the picture I always like to show is is the one we're looking at here. And if I could describe it for the listeners, um, you know, the the trolley has a really big curb in front of a building, and the city put a railing. It's a three foot basically handrail that separates the trolley from pedestrians so that your pedestrians can get on and off and the uh you know other pedestrians who aren't on the trolley can can ride their bikes and walk by and they kind of separate them with this railing and as this when the fight kicks off it starts near the trolley but it spills over the handrail yeah and but okay. without thinking i jump over the handrail to break up a fight and then the fight kind of comes my way. And as I try to retreat and back up, I run into that same railing and I get trapped. Yep. And so I think I might be the only firefighter in history to ever get trapped outside, which is. Yeah. Well, no secondary means of egress, even in exactly. the EMS situation. Right? Yes, exactly. And I, it, it was so easy to scale, you know, when I'm looking at it and I'm trying to get into the fight, but man, when I'm trying to back up and get out of the fight, running into that, that sensation of, of running out of room, it's hard to describe, but yeah. I remember my heart jumped up about 10 beats and I was like, oh God, like I'm trapped, you know, and that's a very uncomfortable situation. Um, my engine pulled up and because the trolley runs, you know, right alongside the curb, we can't park in front of our call. And so we had to park a block away and, and then walk with our gear in, right? But uh, from, I had my window down and as we're driving up to the call, I can see my patient and he's standing and I can hear him yelling. And so for me, you know, as a medic, the ABCs are intact. Mm -hmm. And, and really that's, that is kind of our specialty is airway breathing circulation. And yep. so seeing that from a distance, again, going back to being complacent and being too overconfident and being comfortable, I, I've done my assessment. I haven't even gotten off the rig yet. Yeah. And, and so no, you're I'm riding like, the engine. You guys are riding a paramedic engine at this point to run this, the, this stage of the, of the shift. Yep. Uh, how many are with you on, on, on the engine? So we have four O staffing on every engine and every truck in the city okay. of San Diego. So there's, right. I'm the medic of record on this rig. Uh, with this crew, I'm the only medic, but yeah, I'm, I'm doing my assessment from a block away, which is yep. probably not the best plan. Um, I get out to grab my gear and, the secu a security guard, there were five security guards there with guns. Um, one of the security guards meets me at the curb and says, hey, you know, I'm glad you're here. We have a drunk, intoxicated male. And that is the, the end of the turnover. I don't get anything, like you said, about, oh, by the way, for the last 20 minutes, we've been getting into it with a bystander and it's almost come to blows a couple times, right? Like no turnover whatsoever about that. Um, well, are you still thinking that it's the patient that you're most concerned with? It's like, yeah, the bystander even on your radar? At this no, point? I don't even know there's a bystander in play at this point. Okay. Um, you know, as we're driving in, I saw my patient because I could see him kind of teetering. I saw him yelling and, and I see the security guard surrounding him. And so right away, I knew who my patient was. I did not see the bystander and I didn't know what role he w was playing at this uh, yeah. at this time so we grab our gear we walk in and then you know i've got five security guards we kind of set up our protective bubble right we we surround our patient we start asking questions we start doing an assessment and and i mean i've been doing this at this point in 2015 for uh a little over 
12 years. Mm -hmm. This is the most basic thing we do, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's hard to describe how mundane this call was. Right. But you still at this point. So the picture shows that actually, uh, as you referred to, Stabby is, is still in the situation <coughs> trying to talk to <coughs> security guards, probably at this point. Correct. Uh, well, and, and, and talking to the patient. Right. And, when we arrive, he turns and starts talking to me. And yeah. I said, how are you doing? You know, my name's Ben. I'm a paramedic. You know, what can you tell me? And I mistakenly, I'm thinking these guys know each other uh, because as I arrived, I see Stabby talking to the patient, holding on to him, you know, um, taking care of him. And so I'm like, oh, these two are traveling buddies. And so I turned to the guy and I said, hey, you know, what do you got for me? And he he gets out of the way and he lets my partner jump in and start doing an assessment. And I get a turnover from Stabby. And and we've all had turnovers. You know, we uh, they're not very good. They give us a lot of information that's not relevant. Yeah. But I placate him. You know, I, I know how to play this game. I listen to him for about 30 seconds. And I kind of take what I can and I ask him a couple follow-up questions. Uh, he's cooperative. And I said, okay, man, you know, thank you for that. I, I'll take over from here. And he says, no problem. And he grabs his backpack off the ground and he walks away. And he walks behind me. And, and so right away, like out of sight, out of mind, yeah. I got to turn over. The guy left. And now it's time for me to talk to my patient. Um, and so I, I focus on this guy. He's belligerent. He's not cooperative. So yeah, I'm going to do my verbal judo, right? I'm going to sweet talk him. And I'm going to win him over and I'm going to get this guy to eat out of my hand. Right. At this time, you're you're the good kind of, you're the good cop coming yes, in. Because exactly. right now your crew is doing assessments. You got the security guards there. You've dealt with the bystander. That bystander looks to be walking away. Yep. Now you're going to swoop in, be the, the voice of reason yep. right? and yes. say, okay, Hey, I've been listening. This is the situation. This is what we got going on. Right. And yes. And so the pictures here, you know, I'm, I'm visually thinking I, you know, I worked Monday or two days ago and I was just in this situation. Right. Yep. Um, and, and so a lot of us can, can really relate to this. Um, and so now I do see in this photo though, the bystander is behind you. You just stopped, turn back around. Exactly. And that's the part I don't see. So this is where it starts to get tricky. I don't see him. He did not leave. He stopped. He turned around and he was still pissed with the security guards. And so he kind of re-engages with security guards and starts arguing with them again. And I think one of the mistakes they made is they re-engage and they pick up the argument and they go back and forth arguing again. But my eyes are now on my patient and I'm focused on my patient and I'm going to do what I've always done, which is take care of my patient. I, I don't care what's going on around me because I have a protective bubble, right? I've got four or five fighters with me. I got five security guards with guns. I hear the arguing, but I don't care because it doesn't affect me. Mm -hmm. Right? So I'm working on this guy and I'm talking to him and I'm ignoring everything around me. And again, what I don't see, and you can see in the picture here, is he eventually turns to my captain and he starts getting in my captain's face. And he said, you know, you guys were, were too quick to dismiss me. I was trying to help and they were ignoring me and they're rude. And my captain goes, look, man, I, you know, I hear what you're saying. We appreciate everything you've done so far. But look, man, I've heard the security guards ask you to leave. I've heard my guys ask you to leave. Now I'm asking you to leave. Like, we got this. We do this every day. 
We'll take it over from here. You know, thank you. But bye bye. And he gets in my captain's face and he starts poking him in the chest. And he says, I'm not going anywhere. Fuck you. And my captain goes, hey, man, I need you to back up and give us space. And he puts his hand on this guy's chest and pushes him back. And he trips over a park bench. Yeah, and you can kind of see in the picture, there's benches there. Captain's just kind of looking at him. I'm sure just turned not to push, but just to say, hey, you just got to step back, give us space. Yeah. Right? And, he, and, yep. and then he trips. And there um, it is. He came and can I? Where is like the right? Where is uh, the PD at this point? Like, do they not get called in on these situations, or what's the, what's the relationship there? Great question. So we have a fantastic relationship with San Diego PD, and I I want to continue that relationship for as long as I'm on the job. Uh, we have a mutual respect. We take good care of each other. Um, this came. This call came in as a drunk, intoxicated male, and we don't need PD for that. Okay. So we haven't called for help yet. Um, and you know, we have a couple codes. I'm sure you have it in Wisconsin as well. Yeah. You know, a code for, Hey, we'd like to PD here. And then there's a code for sweet Jesus, like send them right now. Yeah. Yeah. Code 10, 10, code 10 is, now don't ask questions, get them all here. There yeah. you go. Yep. So yep. we, our code for all hell's broken loose, please send help is cover now. And so we called for PD, uh, just, Hey, you know, can we get some help here? But there's no rush and, and there isn't right. Um, we haven't. Nothing's gone sideways yet, but when my captain pushes that guy over, he flips a switch. Yeah. He immediately jumps to his feet and he attacks a security guard and starts beating the crap out of him. Um, and this is, you know, there's a photo of this. You can see him. He is throttling this guy. Yeah. And what so now the, the picture is you're seeing from, uh, you know, evaluating this patient is now it's your crew is full on in a fight security guards are um are there and you guys are kind of just surrounding um uh you know not surrounding but we're you're 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 still kind of like your outside bubble but now this is right in the middle of it yeah right in the middle of our bubble this fight breaks out and you can see from the picture it's when i start hearing fists hit face that it breaks my concentration on my patient and I, I stand up and turn around and just try to get, like, get my orientation. Like, what is happening? Right. Um, and so I see this fight and I go, oh, my God, like, this guy's beating the crap out of a security guard. So I run over to jump in the fight. And honestly, I'm thinking, we're going to take this guy down, put him in handcuffs, and that'll be the end of it. But as I'm running to get to him, they the two security guards hockey check him over that railing that I described Ooh. earlier. And, and they, there's all of us are on one side of the railing. They check him onto that railing. And you see the picture. I, it looks like I'm trying to push him. I'm actually trying to grab him and bring him back to us so that we have complete control over him. Um, but they dumped him on the other side of that railing. It turns out there was one security guard standing alone by himself on the other side of that railing. And so when we dumped him on the other side, he got on his feet and now he's got it's one on one, right? He's mm -hmm. he just starts beating the crap out of the guy, and that is where I, I immediately my mindset is: oh man, I have to save that security guard. Um, and so I jump over the railing, and as he's beating this guy up, and he's hitting him in the face five, six times harder than I've ever seen anybody get hit, and I kind of dive, I wedge my body between these two guys, and I put my hands 
on their chests. And I push the security guard to the left, to the right, and I push Stabby to the left, and I break them apart. And as they break them apart, a couple of security guards pull out their pepper spray, and they start trying to hit him from a distance. And because of that, we all, like, I try to get out of the way, too. I don't want to get hit with pepper spray. So we all separate. But, and, and now here's the video. We've separated. We've given this guy a chance to regroup and rearm. And if you do get an opportunity to see the video, you'll see his right hand. He's now dodging the pepper spray, moving away from them, moving toward me. And he's now arming himself with a knife. Yep. And so what was nine on one has in a matter of, of milliseconds turned into one on one. And so I have now all of a sudden squared off with this guy and I'm, I'm going easy, buddy, easy. Like talk to me. What, what happened? I didn't see my captain push you. I didn't see that you've been arguing. I, I don't see oh. any of that. And then all of a sudden he is on me and his first stab is uh, just above my belt. Uh, he missed my kidney by about an inch. And if you're watching the video, right, the knife goes right into my back. Yeah. One of the security guards wearing a body camera ends up standing right behind me and films my attempted murder within two feet, um, which is kind of cool. I'm not going to lie. That's pretty cool. <laughs> now, now, it's great to hear you say that now, right? Yeah, yeah right. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. was not enjoying it at the moment. Uh, yeah, well, <laughs> well, yeah, we'll talk a little bit about that too. Like, it, yeah. Can I just ask real quick, in this moment, did you know that you had been stabbed or was it one nope. of those, something no. just happened, I feel something strange or you, is your mind somewhere else? It's funny. I he He comes at me and I think we're about to get in a fist fight. And I don't want to punch the guy. And so as he comes to punch me, I just kind of, I, I cover my face and I just go, all right, here we go. Like, you know, he's going to hit me a couple of times. And he got chest to chest with me and reached around and punched me in the back. And in, in this moment, I'm like, what a weirdo. Like, this is a weird way to fist fight. Like, yeah. I've never run up to somebody and tried to hit them in the back from the front. And I just remember going, man, this guy doesn't know how to fight. Like, this is such a weird <laughs> fist fight. I've never been in a weird fist fight like this before. Um, at this moment, he severed a nerve in my back, and I have no feeling in my lower left back. Uh. Um, he then pulls a knife out, and he punches me again behind my arm, behind my left arm, in my chest. And this move broke my rib and punctured my lung. But again, I don't know I'm being stabbed. I think he's just punching me in a weird way. Yeah. Um, and then what happens is he pulls the knife out of my chest and attempts to stab me in the head. But what happened is when he pulled the knife out of my chest, all the air in my lung went out the side of my chest. It went out sideways and it knocked the wind out of me. And I doubled over. I kind of went, Ugh! and I, as I doubled over, he tried to stab me in the head and he missed. Um, now I'll be honest, when I got back to work, my guys had seen this video and they go, Benny, you are such a badass. That guy tried to stab you in the head and you ducked that guy. Yeah. And yeah. I just went with it. I'm like, yeah, right. Damn right. I'm like a ninja. <laughs> yes, right. I did. That's right. Looking at one tough dude, but yep. pure luck, pure luck that he missed my head. Oh my God. Uh, yeah. So it was three hits, right? It's lower back, chest and head. Yeah. Um, oh and then I, I showed easy. this video. So I, I show this video because um, 
I like to replay the whole thing in real speed so you can see how fast it is. Yeah. Uh, but I do pause here because this is one of my best moves. Uh, I, I do try to remind firefighters. And I, do you have these rules in Wisconsin? Three rules to being a firefighter. Rule number one, always look good. <laughs> rule number two, try to know what you're doing. And then rule number three, if you can't follow rule number two, refer back to rule number one. <laughs> so I'm I'm losing this knife fight. And the first thing I did was fix my sunglasses. Oh, yeah. There you go. Yeah. So I'm very proud of that. I, I maintain composure and I kept looking good. I will say, too, you actually still were in a defensive kind of position like, OK, this is still going to happen. You know, yeah. Before, I, so, you're, you know, you're yeah. setting yourself up like I'm you're still think I'm going for this here. Yeah, I was actually still in the fight. I hadn't felt the knife wounds yet. Um, and then I show this video because my partner, Alex, he doesn't see the knife either. But I would argue, you know, firefighters have two moves. We either talk or we tackle. Mm -hmm. So I tried talking. So Alex goes, well, I'm going to tackle this guy. So Alex tackles him and lands on top of him. And the guy still had the knife in his hand. So he ends up sticking Alex in the back three times. He stabbed him three times. Um, just, just, you know, pop, 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 like just three rapid sticks um, before anyone could do anything. So when I replay this video in real speed, you're going to hear us screaming, uh, cover now, cover now, cover now, because uh, the other two guys on my crew, the engineer and the captain, they did see the knife and they knew what was happening. And so they're calling for, for all hell breaking loose. And um, even in, in slow motion, this is happening. Like uh, when, when you yeah. show the first stabbing, the first swing, it, he was on you like that, oh, even in slow motion. And so can, I can imagine real time, right? Like, like you were saying, you were up against that railing. Yeah. And it, it happened so quick. The fight was over before I even knew it started. And then I was out of commission almost immediately. Uh, he, you know, punctured a, a lung. So I had a hemoneumothorax. And so almost immediately I couldn't breathe. And then I felt warm liquid flowing out of my shirt. And, and then I realized like, oh, that, that's why he punched me in such a weird way. He was stabbing mm -hmm. me. So here's the video. I don't know if you'll be able to hear it. It's pretty loud, okay. uh, but this is the same fight in real speed. Okay. Two men stabbed a total of five times in less than three seconds. And, and here we are, it's an ordinary call. So, Take us now from the situation where, it, look, your crew knows you've been stabbed. You have two pe people stabbed at this point. Uh, you know, when did you start to realize, okay, like, you know, you said you, you, you had the wind knocked out of you. You felt like the wind is knocked out of you. You felt, you know, that you, you had some fluid going down. And, and so take us what happened at, at that point then. Well, that's what I can honestly say. The wheels came off the bus, right? Like, um, panic. I mean, I knew immediately, I'm like, Oh my God, I've been stabbed. And Oh my God, I have a pneumothorax. Um, and you know, the difference between a pneumothorax and a tension pneumothorax is time. And so it's, and it's unknown. Is it going to be less than a minute? And then my lung is going to fill with airspace and I'm going to stop my heart. Is it going to take 10 minutes? Is it going to take 20 minutes? But suddenly I realized like, Oh man, this is, this is a kill shot. Like my, my, my days are numbered now, right? Like I'm like, I have a limited amount of time. 
I could die. Like, this is going to happen. Well, Alex got pepper sprayed. So he tackled the guy and got stabbed. And then the, the guards came in and pepper sprayed Stabby and they, and they pepper sprayed him. So there's a big dog pile. Everyone's on top of this guy, prying the knife out of his hand, trying to put cuffs on him. Alex rolls off the pile and now he's blind. He can't see and blood is just pumping out of his body. And I just realized like, oh my God, like we're both in real trouble here. Um, We're both waiting for help to come, right? And this is where, I mean, this is something I had to work through in therapy. I, I, you know, they say on an airplane, right? When the oxygen masks come down, you put the oxygen mask on yourself first, and then you help the people around you, right? Because you're no good if you go down. Mm -hmm. Well, there I am. My partner just jumped in to save me. And now we're both, both in trouble, right? We're both, he's bleeding to death. I'm, my chest is filling with, with air. I needed to stop his bleeding, but I also needed to give myself, right? I needed to put a chest seal, right? Uh, A three-sided occlusive dressing to stop. And so my thought is, well, who do I help first? If I don't help myself, I can't help him, but uh, who would I be if I let him die while I'm trying to save myself, right? Mm. Uh, He jumped in to save my life. I should fix him, right? I need to stop that bleeding. Uh, And I'm, I'm stuck. First of all, we didn't bring any of the trauma gear with us because this wasn't a trauma call. So I don't have a three-sided occlusive dressing. I don't have trauma gauze. I don't have any way to stop his bleeding. I've got a drug box and a monitor and an airway bag, which doesn't have any of the equipment on it. And and so I remember just kind of not doing anything. I just stood there and went, well, shit, right? Like I, I'm stuck. I can't do anything. Um, and there's another weird thing that happened to me that I really enjoy uh, sharing with people who've been through events like this, but um, I didn't want that guy to see me go down. And so I grabbed onto that handrail and I propped myself up and I was tripoding, you know, just trying to keep my breathing in. And I remember thinking if, as long as I don't go down, I will stay alive, which doesn't make much sense. Right. But it's my thought process. I got to stay on my feet. If I stay on my feet, I'll live. And I don't want that guy to see that it got me. Well, I knew I needed the trauma bag to treat Alex and to treat myself. And I looked and I followed the handrail and it came up about 15 feet short of our rig. And I remember in my head thinking, well, I can't let go of this handrail. So I can't go get the trauma gear because if I let go of the handrail to, to try to get to the engine, I'll go down and then I'll, I'll die. And that's a weird, that, that doesn't make sense. But when you're panicked and you're bleeding to death, right? That's the shit that goes through your head. Um, and so I, I didn't move. I just still held on to that handrail and then I refused to let go. I refused to go down. Yeah. And that go bothers ahead. you, doesn't it? I mean, oh. you just got stabbed, buddy. Like, I know. Uh, and uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of uh, getting a little choked up because what you just described, your attitude and that mentality is what I love about the fire service because you, 
you just totally um, embossed the whole thing right there with your statement that you're thinking about somebody else. You just got stabbed and you're mad at yourself because you can't limp your way over to, uh, first of all, remembering a, a three-sided occlusive dressing. Now, I'm only an EMT, <laughs> and so I don't know if I could remember that. Um, but, uh, yeah. like, buddy, like, that's that's the fire service, right? Like you, um, you, you, you are totally an example of what we do. And, um, and so my other question is, I mean, right. Like you were thinking this, you're not thinking I'm stabbed, I'm bleeding. You're, you're concerned about your crew member. And, right. and then you're a little upset that you can't get that. But then I get that weird, I can't let go of this handrail. And so I can't help him because I can't let go of the handrail. And that just doesn't make sense. Now, I'll, I'll be honest, my favorite question to ask is I get to travel all over the world now. I share my story and I get to meet firefighters, paramedics, EMTs um, who've been severely injured. And my favorite question to ask them is, did you do anything weird when you got hurt? And almost 100% of the time they go, yeah, my brain started making weird decisions. And um, that is a that is a normal thing that I I try to normalize with people because a lot of them do carry guilt and shame and anger that they didn't do the right thing or they you know what I mean yeah and I'm going man you don't understand like that's not how your brain works um, and my favorite if, go ahead oh no, I was just gonna say real quick do you know if Alex had the same experience was he panicked because he wasn't able to get to you or to someone else or was he doing anything weird. Well, yeah, so he, uh, I got him to crawl. He, he was in a, on the pile. He, you know, he rolled off the pile. He's on his knees. He can't see and he's bleeding. And, and he goes, Benny, I, you know, help me. And I go, buddy, you got to crawl over to me. Like, follow my voice, crawl to me. And so he did. He crawled and he crawled over the handrail, you know, he climbed up and over it. And then he, you know, kind of blindly reached out. He found a bench and he sat next to me on the bench. And, and then I said, hey man, just sit tight, you know, help's on the way. And he said, okay. And and why I give Alex unbelievable credit is he started making jokes. Um, and he said, you know, hindsight being what it is, that guy was a real dick. and. <laughs> I just, I was, I mean, it was such a great comment, you know, like so subtle and I started laughing, but I couldn't breathe. And I go, buddy, like no more jokes. And he's like, okay, you know, sorry. And he goes, but man, I, I sure didn't see that coming. And, and so laughed again, you know? Um, so he did an amazing job of trying to keep it light. Yeah. Uh, and he didn't, you know, he couldn't see. So he just sat there and just bled. And uh, I stood right next to him and bled and we just stood there kind of waiting for help to arrive, which, um, you know, help came quickly, but I'm telling you, that is a lifetime waiting for help to arrive. Um, and, and, you know, like I'm thinking, well, Alice is going to bleed out and my heart is going to stop from air pressure. Um, so God, I hope help gets here quick. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and that, I don't know how long the wait was between the time we called for help and the time people arrived. Uh, but it was a lifetime, it was yeah. a lifetime. Have you, did you talk to, um, you know, the crew that, that 
that uh, packaged you up and, and, and transported all you have had, cause I'm sure they were right. Like you heard, they heard it was one of their own or whatever, and they were probably there lickety split. Correct. And yeah. yeah. Um, so it's, it's at station four was ancient four and rescue four and rescue is the, the big heavy rescue rig. Um, well, so engine four went to the call and then rescue four got dispatched to the trolley stop. And the, it was, you know, it was about 4 PM. And so the rescue guys were, were grumbling, right? Because they saw the address come up and they're like, what the hell, man, the engine's already there. Like, why aren't they handling this call? Why are we going, you know, and, and they slide down the pole and it, they're kind of slowly meandering, right? They're not rushing. And the first guy looks at the computer to hit responding and sees the notes and, and goes, holy shit. And uh, he gets on a PA and goes, everybody get down here. Right? Like all hell's broken loose at the stop. Engine four's in trouble. And, uh, you know, we call cover now. It wasn't just rescue four. I mean, every, uh, Every engine. I can talk about the stabbing all day long without crying. But when I talk about all the people mm -hmm. that came to my, I came to my aid. God, it gets me right in the feels, man. Um, yeah. We're talking like, Every engine, truck, ambulance, battalion chief within a 20 mile radius. It's easy for us to be on the other side of it, isn't it? It is. I mean, for, you know, we're really good at, you know, helping. We're yeah. not so good at taking help, uh -huh. you know, um, no. and, was... and, and, or either asking for it, um, you know, yeah. Well, so on good. scene, did you, do you remember saying that too? Like, ah, no, go help, help. Uh, don't help me first, you know? Well, and that was so, you know, the rescue four pulled up and of course it's the crew that we had just had lunch with, right? I mean, the four, the four of us, the four of them, um, we, we work together every day. And so they're the first ones on scene and they, uh, they split up and two of them, helped me and two of them grabbed Alex. And uh, I mean, it's, it's, I don't know if you've been through a, a line of duty death or, or any call where one of your own is, is severely injured, but it, it doesn't go well, right? It doesn't go well because we care so much. Uh, suddenly you lose your training and, and you know I mean? Like people are just falling over themselves to help uh, it. It's not a well-oiled machine like it is on every other call because it's chaos. And, and, and so people are stepping over each other and tripping and, and trying to, trying to get to us. Um, you know, it's, it, and it's also hard to watch, you know, my people panicked, right? Like they're panicked, they're, they're freaking out. Um, and so the uh, first ambulance shows up, they bring the gurney and they go, Hey, Benny, get on the gurney. And I said, well, I would, but I can't let go of this handrail. And they're like, what? You know, like they're, they're not in that same mindset I'm in. They're like, the fuck are you talking about? Like, get on the gurney. And I was like, I, I can't. 
So one of my guys pried my fingers off, you know, just pried them off and then sat me on the gurney. And, uh, and then they wheeled me into the back of the ambulance. Well, there's talk, the medics, you know, they're like, Hey, let's, can we fit two? Can we bring Alex in the back of the ambulance? And I'm, I'm listening to this and I'm like, of course we're going to bring out. It's like, what? Well, I don't know this, but another ambulance came flying around the corner and popped out and grabbed Alex. And so the first ambulance sees that. So they immediately close the doors and my ambulance takes off. Mm. And all I heard was, Hey, can we bring Alex doors close leave? And I come unglued. I'm, I'm ready to fight everybody. And there were three of my my people, you know, the ambulance paramedic, and then the two two of the guys from uh, the rescue rig jumped in. So there's three, and then a cop jumped in to be with us. So there was four in the back with me. I'm fighting all four because I'm like, hey, turn this rig around and let's go get Alex. You know, like mm-hmm. I'm not gonna live and let him die. Like that's just not gonna happen. And so they're holding me down, and finally one of the guys goes, hey man another ambulance already has Alex, like relax. And so I was like, okay, like I'll back off. Um, And then to show you kind of the panic, we have two hospitals in downtown San Diego and we decide major trauma based on geographical location. So if you're, you know, west of this street and south of this street, you go to one. And then if you're north, south, whatever, you go to the second one. Well, my buddy, the guy from rescue, his name's Donnie. And Donnie was on rescue. He grabbed me. He put me in the back. Uh, he and I have been friends since college. Um, one of my best friends, I was in his wedding and he is taking me to the hospital. And they said, Hey, where are we going? And he said, well, let's go to mercy hospital. Um, and that's the wrong hospital, right? That's not the right one. And I said, Hey, Donnie, that's, that's not the correct hospital, but we got to go to UC San Diego. And he said, I don't care. He said, my wife, works at mercy. So we're going to mercy. Uh, And I remember thinking, that's a good idea, right? Yeah. But his wife doesn't work in the trauma center. She doesn't, (laughs) right? She's, she has no direct uh, association with my care whatsoever. But just to show you his mindset, he's trying to, he's trying to get me to his wife. And I'm like, yeah, this is okay. Like, this is a good plan. So I go to that hospital. Well, they grabbed Alex and they went to the correct hospital. So the two of us got separated and ended up at two different hospitals. Um, And so anyway, so yeah, so I got rushed to the hospital. Uh, They put me on the trauma table. And this is where engines and trucks from way out of district, right? Violating all the rules, all are waiting for us at Mercy and UC San Diego. So I arrive and there are already engines and trucks uh, waiting for me, you know, at the hospital Um, because everybody's listening to the radio. Uh, And so everyone's just going to the hospital. Uh, So when I arrived, it was, I was stoked because I remember just seeing all these people and I felt like a little kid in an AYSO soccer game, you know, like that human tunnel the parents make at the end. Mm -hmm. I go through this human tunnel uh, into the trauma room, which I was pretty happy about. And, and then, you know, they all piled into the trauma room. There are probably 50 people in the trauma room, uh, making the trauma team hard to work, but they didn't try to kick anybody out. They just kept doing their job. 
and they moved me over onto the trauma table. And then the doc said, Hey man, I got to give you a chest tube. I got to reinflate your lung or you're going to die. And I said, doc, no problem, but you got to knock me out. You know, like, I don't want to be awake for that. And he goes, I can't do that. Uh, but I'm gonna have four of your people hold you down. Oh. And I'm like, all the advances in medicine, that's the treatment. Hold me down. Like what the, so sure enough, four of my guys held me down and they sliced me open and they shoved that tube in my chest and holy shit. Uh, I felt every bit of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but when they got the tube into that pocket, air and blood came flying out of my chest and I could take a full breath of air. Oh. And it was at that point I knew I was going to be okay. And, uh, and then I kind of, I felt my body kind of relax cause I, I could breathe again. So what's that, the hardest, what's the hardest part about telling the story? You know, honestly, I can show the stabbing. I can talk about the stabbing all day long. Uh, it's when I talk about all the people that came to my aid yeah. that, yeah. that just risked it risked a lot to take care of me and Alex. God, yeah. man, I, I break down so quick. It's, and, and I you can't said that, that back. I can't yeah, that you back. said you said that before, but just just seeing that in your eyes, you know, I I I I I just wanted to reiterate that, like, you know, how selfless is this? You know, you're not worried about yourself. You're just worried about all the other people that were were were, um, you know, willing to help and and willing to be there and responding. And, um, you know, and. I, Thanks for being so honest with this. And, and I know it's, it's probably not easy. It, it was hard. I'll be honest. It was hard for me to watch those videos. Cause uh, if you're not watching them as a first responder and putting yourself in that, cause I, we've all been in that call, right? Know, right. We've all right. been there. Um, tell me a little bit about like the first time you saw that. Yeah. That's uh, so I was home for a week. Um, and you know, I'm, I'm healing physically. Uh, I'm, taking opiates to help me sleep and and my life is pretty good and i'm thinking in a couple of weeks stitches are going to come out and and life will be good um and so about a weekend all of a sudden the news comes on and they said hey you know we we're going to show you a video of a firefighter getting stabbed and i was like whoa another firefighter got stabbed because i didn't know uh the security guards were wearing body cameras and i didn't know the guy stood right behind me um and so they sh- and, and the news took the video and then they had to play it in slow motion because the fight is over so quick that you can't see the knife going into my body in real speed. It's just too fast. So they played in slow motion. And, and what I like to tell people is when you are in an event like this, my brain was reliving that fight every minute of every day that I was awake. Mm-hmm. And I was playing it over and over in my head in slow motion. And then to see it in slow motion on TV, practically from my point of view, was the most surreal thing I've ever experienced because it was like they took it right out of my head and threw it on television. I'm watching it on the couch and I'm like, whoa, like no way. And I didn't realize how close the knife had come to going into my skull. Well, my wife is sitting right next to me. She starts bawling because she also didn't know how close it had come. and to witness in real time a, an attempted murder is pretty intense. Um, I thought it was cool as hell just because it was seeing what had happened to me, right? And it was just, it was the coolest thing. But I got to tell you, when I got hurt, I got dozens, if not hundreds of calls and texts and cards. Well, when the video came out, 
people started driving to my house going, dude, are you okay? Because they realized how close I came to death, right? Like it was close. Um, about the same time, I, I it's getting close. I want to get back to work. And we both, everyone in this, at this podcast knows how addictive opiates are. And I remember thinking, okay, I got to, I got to stop this because I'm going to get addicted and then I'm not going to be able to come back to work. So right about that time the video gets released, I stopped taking opiates and my plan was just to take Tylenol and, and get ready because it's time to get to get back to work, right? Those stitches got to come out, game on. Well, what I didn't know is the opiates were suppressing my subconscious. And so the first night without opiates, I go to sleep and I have a nightmare. And man <laughs> there is there is nothing that i can describe that even comes remotely close aaron i had a dream i'm back at the trolley stop i am back up against the railing my hands are up and i am squared off with stabby and he's got the knife but aaron i can see him as clearly as i can see you i can smell urine on the street I can feel the sun on the back of my neck and it's burning my neck and I'm up against a handrail and the trolley goes by behind me and the wind rocks me. Like it is that detailed and he comes at me and he stabs me in the back. But this time I capture his hand and I trap it. So the knife is in me, but he can't pull the knife out and I grab him by his ear and I trip him and I throw him on the ground. And I climb on top of him and I take it both his ears and I crack his head into the pavement. And I don't want to kill him, but I want to stun him so that I can fuck with him. Mm -hmm. And so I crack his head a couple times and he eventually, it, it works. He goes limp. The knife is still in my back, but he's limp and I'm holding him by his ears. And I remember thinking, it's my turn now. I get to hurt you. And I decide that the best way to do that is I'm going to bite off his face. And so I, I lean down and I bite into his orbit and I bite as deep and as hard as I can. And I bite so deep and so hard that the underside of my, my teeth, you know, my, my jaw captures on, on the underside of his skull. And I remember thinking, oh, I'm not strong enough to bite through skull. And so I back up a little bit just so I get his eyebrow. And when I know I have his eyebrow, I can feel it on my tongue. And then I bite through and blood squirts in my mouth, and then I tear off a piece of his face. And he starts screaming, and I'm not done yet. I take my thumbs and I put them on his eyes, and I shove them into his eye sockets. And I push so deep that his eyeballs rupture, and they pool in my hand. He screams bloody murder, and I'm in his face, and I scream bloody murder. I scream right back at him to taunt him, and I wake up screaming. And I wake up and my hands are out in front of me and I'm gouging out his eyes. And I sit up and I'm just going, Argh! right? And I am just soaked in sweat, soaked. I taste blood in my mouth. I bit my own fucking tongue. Oh. And, and I'm drenched and my eyes are dilated and my heart rate is about 150 and my blood pressure is in my ears. And I just sit straight up in bed and I am soaked in sweat and screaming my head off. And that first night without opiates, I go, holy shit, like, whoa, time out, right? Like, yeah. what was that? And I go downstairs, it's like two in the morning, and I drink water, 
and I sit in the living room and I just try to bring my heart rate down. I try to relax. I try to recover. Well, I couldn't go to sleep after that. And so I stayed up for the rest of the night and I watched the sun come up and I stayed awake until the sun went down. And I remember that second night I go, okay, take two, let's try that again. But that same, the second night, same nightmare. I bite his face off. I gouge his eyes out. I wake up screaming. Third night, I gouge his eyes out. I bite his face off. I wake up screaming. Fourth night, fifth night, sixth night. And and then it gets to the point at some point I can't sleep at all because I know that if I go to sleep, I'm going to wake up screaming, soaked in sweat, tasting blood in my mouth. And, and it's, Aaron, it's getting to the point where I should be going back to the doctor soon, getting the stitches out, and then going back to work. And suddenly I'm realizing, like, I'm in real trouble here, right? Like, I'm not okay. And, and physically I'm healing and the stitches are going to come out. But now I'm realizing mentally I'm in real trouble. This and, is where the mental injury is starting. Right. And then I start to realize, like, oh, this isn't good. Like, I am, I can't go back to work. And, and is this kind of, this is where the second part of this journey really starts. This is where now we've been through the physical thing, which you've, you know, so graciously shared with us. And, and, uh, now you're realizing there's more to this than just the physical stabbing. And this is a great place for us to stop this episode and really encourage people to come back because what you've now done since that particular moment is really uh the story here it's how you've given back how you've overcome a lot of this and it's how you're giving back to the fire service um and it's something that we encourage everyone to come back to this next episode to talk to uh captain ben vernon and see how he turned it around and how he's using this uh to really help uh change the fire service in a way and change the way we view uh mental health and trauma and ptsd and it is a story that uh, I hate to say to be continued, but it is very well worth it. So, Captain, until uh, we we go through that, I just want to thank you so much for your honesty uh, and uh, props to you. I want you as my captain anytime, and I'm excited right. to keep talking about this. For all of those that are listening, um, if you're not watching this, you should go to our YouTube page, go to Fire Rescue One. If you have questions um, uh, for Ben or for us, you can email us at bettereveryshift at firerescue1.com. Stay tuned for the second episode of that. this where we talk about the, the brighter side of the story for Captain Ben Vernon, for Janelle Fasquet. I'm Aaron Zamzo. Thanks for listening, everybody. But make sure that when you do listen to this, you take this information, you take the story, and you learn something, do something, and share something to make you and those around you better every shift.